the truth? Oh, I'm all ears. Okay. The truth. I always tell the truth, even when I lie. Why do you find it so hard to believe? Why do you find it so easy? It's never been easy! You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! All I'm offering is the truth. Nothing more. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Truthful Talk. I'm your host, Marco George, and for the next little while, we're going to do our thing. So this is our first podcast for Truthful Talk. I wanted to do some introductions and let you know uh, who you're going to be listening to for the next little bit. My name is Marco George. I am a teacher of the arts, and I work both in the university system uh, at University of Central Florida, and I also own a studio called Truthful Acting Studios, where I do my best to instruct actors doing what they do. In addition, I uh, have a multimedia company called Doctrine Creative, where we work on uh, production side and post-production of uh, films, documentaries, and commercial media. So I have a lot of experience in, in both the production side and the acting side in the arts. But I wanted to make sure that this podcast was more about uh, it was more than just talking about the arts or talking about acting or talking about production, uh, but also talking about life. A lot of what we do in class is we dive into the deeper self. We dive into what makes us tick. Because being an artist is knowing what moves us as human beings, is realizing what creates deep meaning inside of us. And it's learning how we function and how we communicate as human beings. So I wanted this podcast to to be about that as well. For a long time, I've been thinking about doing this for years now. And one of my biggest struggles is not knowing how to categorize it, not knowing what it's about. When I talk to other podcasters, like, well, you have to have a subject and you have to know what it's about. So people listening will know why they're tuning in. And that was my biggest struggle because I had so many different things I wanted to talk about. And I think what I eventually came to is I'm not going to choose a subject. I'm actually going to come in and say, well, this is called Truthful Talk, and it's going to vary uh, podcast to podcast. We're going to have truthful conversations about whatever comes up in the moment. Uh, Sure, I may have things I want to address, you know, from time to time, and definitely topics that the overall podcast of of that day will be about— Uh, But we're going to let it kind of have a life of its own and uh, see where it takes us. And that really is is what developed into the theme is let's see where the moment takes us. And that's what leads us here today. Today's our our first initial one. It's getting off the ground. And so I'm going to be doing this thing with my lovely, beautiful, and amazing wife, Samantha DeGeorge. And she's here with me. Say hi, Sam. Hi, welcome to our show. <laughs> okay, good. Good, good contribution. <laughs> She's not too sure what to say. As we're finding our feet in this whole thing, we're, we're going to figure that out as we go along. Also with us today, uh, she'll be with us from time to time, is uh, my amazing daughter, uh, Maya. And say hi, Maya. What's up, guys? Hello. 
All right. She's, she just started uh, college and is extremely excited about that. And how's that going for you? It's going good, going good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, for those of you who can't see her, she's, she's smiling and extremely excited about that. So I wanted to do this as a family podcast as well. I was trying to figure out how to do this, if I should be the only person on it, if, if I should have a co-host, if I should you know, bring in other people, if it should be uh, guests from week to week. And again, I, I, we're going to kind of see where each one takes us. But what I really came to is I wanted to be here uh, with Sam every time because Sam is my, my partner in life. She's my partner, you know, helping me run, run the studio. We just started a new theater company called Theater on the Edge, uh, and she's a director in that. And so we really conduct all, all our life together as we try to figure things out. So I, it only made sense that she was on this podcast uh, with me. Yeah, we, I mean, we both have long hair, so it just makes sense, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that, that was a factor, the length of our hair. So. <laughs> I'm kind of like this unicorn that's just going to input my opinions every once in a while, so... And explain that. What do you mean by unicorn? Like, I, I have no structure. I'm not really here. <laughs> <laughs> but when you see me, you're like, oh, my God, look at that. <laughs> so I, I, I think that I have thoughts that pop in my head and I'm kind of random about it. So that's that's, I think, uh, going to be my part in this in this podcast. I will try my best to follow these lines of structure to the best of my ability. Well, but but I, I may see a squirrel. <laughs> but life has no structure. And what we've been talking about is is trying to move away from structure, right? The whole point of this podcast is it's called Truthful Talk. We're going to be very real in the moment, very truthful about whatever we're talking about. But really, there is no structure to it. Yeah, I guess I just feel like in my head, like everything has to have like this structure and we're all so used to structure and I, I can't function like that. It makes me it, like look at my arm, like my, I get like arthritis. She's clenching her, <laughs> her, her hands together. <laughs> so I, I agree life shouldn't have structure. I mean, for certain things. Okay. Especially for talking, I think. We should let the conversation take us wherever it does. Absolutely. Right. You know those moments where you're talking about something and you have no idea how you got there and then you try to backtrack it? Isn't that so cool when that happens? Sure. Like, you're like, <laughs> how did we start talking about this? And then you start backtracking I love, it like, and, going back and trying to figure it yeah, out. And then you're like, oh, it's because of this. The, those are cool moments. I love those. Most of the time I squirrel off so far, there's not enough breadcrumbs to get back. Yeah. I didn't know squirrels ate bread. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you're going to learn a lot on this podcast. <clears throat> so one of the things I wanted to talk about, uh, just because it's, it, there's been a lot happening recently. Uh, we're in Orlando, Florida, and, you know, there's been a lot of recent events that, that have occurred. Uh, a few weeks back, we were all faced here with uh, with a tragedy, and it was the the shooting in the Pulse nightclub uh, near downtown Orlando, and that shook up the community quite a bit. It shook up uh, 
really the entire community. And, and to this day, we're still seeing an outpouring of love and outpouring of, of community of people coming together uh, because of that. So there is a beauty in that tragedy. And for as amazing as it's been to see the community come together, what I've been wondering is why does it take a tragedy to bring people together? Why does it take something like that where 49 innocent people lost their lives uh, in a devastating way to actually cause people to have the desire or the need to love one another and the need to, to do something from a community standpoint? I don't know. I, I, I feel like people get really comfortable and I think people fall into a comfort zone and they get really lax about things. And I think we, we kind of just like go with the, I don't know, I'm kind of waving my arms. Because, flow of things? Yeah, we go with the flow of things and we, we're not thinking about, we get, it's all about us right and we start thinking about our own lives and we get wrapped up in our daily things that we're not thinking about other people and then when tragedies like this happen it's like oh man like there are other people in this world and we are a community i think it almost oh sorry no yeah go ahead i think it almost forces you to like open your eyes because there's you can't look around like a tragedy like you can't just shut your eyes to it like it's gonna be there when you open your eyes so it's not something that you can just ignore because it like hits everybody like a train yeah so like you're forced to act upon it so we're forced to deal with it because as you said we're, we're it slams into us right so therefore we have to deal with it right so th- i guess then the next question is how do we keep it going because well, we- i think that's the thing right it's it, it what happens is something like this will happen and then the community will come together for a certain period of time and then it'll start dwindling down and then everyone will go back into their lives kind of like wally right this like everyone goes into this like robotic mechanical way of functioning and then another tragedy will happen and then everyone will come together again and that that's frustrating because i feel like it's a pattern you know like you change your profile on facebook to represent what's happening what just happened right like with the pulse but then when does that moment come where you change your profile picture back to whatever it is you want to do so that then something else happens and then you change it back. You know what I mean? Like, I, that frustrates me. I feel like social media, though, adds a, another, like, layer, another factor when it comes to this stuff, though. Because it's like, social media is a way of representing yourself, like, who you are online. So when, like, tragedies happen, like, we want to represent ourselves. But then it comes to the point where it's like, well, this is not front page news anymore. Like, this is not a headliner anymore. Yeah. That's unfortunate. And, and sure. And, and at some point, you know, my profile picture has been representing uh, of the pulse and the support for the pulse. But sure, at some point, it's going to change and, and go back to, to something else. And but again, the question is, how do we how do we get back into daily life without losing the lessons of what this is about? You know, we, we just drove past uh, the Pulse nightclub uh, yesterday. And there's all these people lined up in there, and there's a beautiful memorial. You go down to the by the hospital, there's a beautiful memorial. And it's wonderful to watch all of these people come together in community to help. But as we've seen through the patterns of our history, that will go away. That will subside. 
And so the question is, how do we stop that from subsiding? How can we keep the message of love and community coming together for support? How do we maintain that without having to have another tragedy? Do you think maybe keeping the story of what happened alive, not necessarily the tragedy part, but like the stories of the people that went through it, like remembering them every day and talking about them or not necessarily specifically, but like every day just talking about how people come together, like because you keep that story alive. I think that could help. I I definitely do. I I think keeping their memories alive, keeping uh, the conversation alive. I think the conversation is, is what's important, talking about it. Yeah. Is, is what you're saying is, is uh, the more we talk about the people, the more we talk about what has happened, the more we keep that going, maybe then we can keep that memory. Yeah. And it doesn't always have to be like, I mean, a lot of it is the negative part of what happened, but it doesn't always like the conversation doesn't always have to be negative. Like we could focus on the positive part of like people coming together and keeping that alive. And then if we're talking about it and then like little children see us talking about it, then that gets instilled in their head and then the story stays alive. Well, I think it's like, it's something that happened in history, right? So it's like everything that's written in a history book, everything that we talk about, Martin Luther King and all that stuff, like you, you keep it alive by, by educating. I think it should be part of our education, like talking to each other and talking to our kids about it. Well, there's one thing to educate and there's one thing to learn there's another thing to have the feeling inside of you that you need to do something about it. Yeah. You know, I, I remember when 9-11 happened in New York, I had that same feeling as we need to do something about it. And we did. For a while, we saw an entire community, really an entire nation band together to do something. Of course, New York really banded together uh, to, you know, and to help each other and support after that. But here we are, you know, years later, and we're not seeing the same type of feeling of doing something in support of 9-11 as we were back then. That has subsided. We're actually seeing the first responders, they're suffering. Years later, we don't have that feeling, especially politically, to help the first responders, to give them the insurance, to, to be there for them. It was there right afterwards, and I know it was a good political move to be there right afterwards for them, but all of a sudden we're so separated from it Again, we've lost the feeling. We're back to that very mundane thing. Right. Here in Orlando, it's very alive because this still just happened. Yeah, you see it every day. And we see it every day. And and the community is trying to keep it alive. And I know it's localized to Orlando. The feeling's definitely going to subside if it hasn't already around the country. Uh, but how do we, even here locally, how do we keep that going? Well, you know I'm big on random acts of kindness, and I don't know if that contributes in any way, but I feel like everything starts with just us, right? Like, we're just one person, and we're all, like, a bunch of people, but at the same time, we're all individuals, and if each one of us can every day make an effort, man, it's just, it's one little thing every single day. There's millions of us then i think that that you can make a change you know what i'm saying like and maybe that can carry on i just feel like people don't and i speak for myself too don't make that effort to just and it's just one thing a day that you can do kind for someone else 
and make sure you ha- you tell them to pay it forward. Give an example of what you mean. Um, well, after the 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 tragedy the, at Pulse, I was at Wawa and I was really really down. I mean, like almost at the point of tears. And I was just checking out and I was buying I don't know an iced tea or something breakfast, and I, I paid for the guy behind me. He had like a drink. I don't know. He had like ten dollars worth of stuff. But I was like, you know, um, I'm gonna go ahead and and pay for your stuff and. He said, why? And I automatically broke down. And I was like, because I think that we need more kindness in this world, you know? And and I said, but you gotta make sure you pay it forward. And he said he will, and he thanked me. And it's just little things like that. $10 is not gonna make or break us. You know what I'm saying? But I think it, in that moment, at least, he was affected. So if he goes out and does something for somebody else, then it just becomes a just a huge chain of people doing kind things for one another. And I think that that's the way things don't dwindle down and get forgotten. We somehow have to keep that sense of duty alive in people, though. We have to keep that sense of you know wanting to go out and doing these nice things for others. And you're right; they're random acts of, acts of kindness. They're very simple. Uh, it's something you can do. It's, a lot of times you don't even need to spend money because you can just go out and give someone a compliment. Right. You can just talk to somebody that just looks like they need to have a conversation. I mean, anything. Just you know, tell someone they look nice. They're, you know, they're, they're <laughs> anything. Like, for example, you know, half of my hair is blue, right? I get compliments all the time. Like, wherever I go, people are like, oh my God, I like your hair. I wish I could do my... That makes me feel good. I'm like... I know I'm not making like a difference having my hair blue, but somebody's noticing and it's making somebody in that moment be like, oh my God, your hair is awesome. Like, I wish I could do that with my hair. And that makes me feel good. And then if I feel good, then I'm going to want to make someone else feel good too. So I think it's all about making each other feel good, even if it's just with compliments. Absolutely. So... You know, one of the other things that has concerned me is the impact on the millennial generation. Because growing up as a Generation Xer in the 80s, we were deathly afraid that the Russians were going to attack at any minute. This was this was something that we just, we felt. We, you know, the movie Red Dawn when it first came out was you know, it wasn't just a fictional movie. This was (laughs) something that could very well happen. Uh, The Russians invading the U.S. and it was going to be World War III. But that, while we had that fear inside of us, nothing ever really happened. Nothing ever really happened that caused us to look at the world differently or caused us to desensitize to it. What I'm worried for the millennials and for the next generations is that this is becoming commonplace. I mean, you know, from from Columbine and then, you know, we have 9-11 and then, you know, we have the, the Boston bombing, uh, you know, we have the Pulse shootings. I mean, we have these things that occur just way too frequently. And what I'm noticing is that in the younger generations, they're used to it. This is something that is part of their normalcy growing up. And 
what do you think about that? Mark? I mean, I definitely think we've become jaded to it just because, yeah, we see it every day. Like, I think yesterday in Baghdad, I think like 86 people died because there was car bombings. Like, this is not, and I, and I hate to say it, but it's almost like not news. And I, I mean, I know in the logical, like concrete sense of the word it is, but the way that we feel about it, it's not because it's like, this is not something new. Um, I think a lot of it, of why we feel so jaded is because like going back to your generation like this it wasn't being thrown like shoved down your throat every day like you didn't have the exposure to it that we do now like I can just go on Twitter and see what's happening and I can see it every day who got shot who's been killed who's gotten bombed like there's just so much exposure that yeah we've become jaded to it and it sucks and it it definitely does feel like it's a part of like like it feels like it might not ever get better like this is how it just the world is always gonna be and I know a lot of people like my age feel that way that like this is just how it is like it is what it is like we're just gonna have to accept it like I don't the idea that one day nothing bad is gonna happen is nearly impossible to even perceive it yeah and that's that's exactly my point of what worries me is from from my standpoint as a Generation Xer, we have a huge contrast of before this stuff started happening and then after it started happening. And it really kind of stems in the early 90s with, with the first war in Iraq. You know, that's when things really started to, to change. And then, of course, with social media, the Internet and then social media, which came really not until the 2000s, uh, it, it's, that wasn't part of our generation. None of that was part of our generation. So there's a huge contrast. And, and I know what life was before, and I know that we all, all felt safe relatively in this country and safe relatively around the world. But all of a sudden, we're in this state where, you know, someone like you, Maya, who by the time you were born, this stuff was already in full swing. Right. So by the time you were born, you were born into the social media age. You were born into, we were in war for a long time already right. by the time you were born. So you were born into the age of war, into the age of fighting, into the age of violence. And my concern is that there isn't a hope in your generation that things can change because you don't have the vision to see Right, we what haven't been be ex- we haven't been exposed to the idea that it like because since it's been since that way since I was born, I haven't seen anything else. It's like somebody in an abusive relationship. If that's all they know, they can't perceive the idea of somebody being nice to them because that's all they know. But I definitely do think that it um, calls for a need or a want to see things differently. I definitely think that's true. Like, I know a lot of people my age, like, are demanding some different change for gun control because at this point, it's like, it doesn't take an idiot to figure out when the next mass shooting is going to happen. Like, we know it's going to be sometime soon. Like, when the headline pops up, like, oh, no surprise. So it's like, it does call for, like, I feel that need inside me for things to change. So it's not like I've become jaded to not wanting to not do anything. So what what can we do for your generation or what can you do for your generation? I mean, what what needs to happen to give 
you and your generation hope or the vision that, you know what, we can get past this. We can get to that point. I think one of the major problems is a lot of like, at least in America, like politically, all the voices are normally like 50 and up. And while the representation for like the younger generation is growing because they realize that there's now just as much as us than there are of them and that we need to be accounted for too. Um, it's still very hard because it doesn't feel like our voice is being represented in politics and stuff like that. So I think that it would take somebody to just wanting to listen and hear us out or even having younger people in politics. Like I don't think that that would be like I don't think the lack of experience would be a problem I mean everybody starts with the lack of experience but our voices need to be heard too you know like I remember being a little kid and when the talk of oh well every teacher should learn how to handle a gun and have one in a classroom just in case there's a mass shooting like I remember being a little kid and asking my mom like do you think that that's actually going to happen because I'm more scared of that happening than somebody coming in and shooting up the school. Yeah. Yeah, the answer is not to have more guns out there. <laughs> so it's not like... It, our generation definitely has a say, and we want to be heard. I think we've been seeing it. I mean, I, I think for the first time in probably my life... Uh, this past year, we've been seeing more younger people come out to rallies uh, to be in support in politics. You know, a, a lot of, there's a lot of uh, youth support for Bernie Sanders mm-hmm. uh, and really the youth support getting involved more than I've ever seen. I mean, typically, you know, late teens, early 20s didn't get involved, didn't vote. I mean, it wasn't until you were out of college and really into the workforce or having a family of your own, did you really care enough to vote? And I think we're seeing a swing of that in this country, which is nice, is, is nice to see. And I definitely do think it's necessary because politics is our future. Like the way things are handled sets the foundation and the base for how my life is going to be when I'm older and how I'm going to function in this country and stuff. So I think it's nice, like, like we have to care. I'm not just going to let my future be decided by somebody who doesn't understand the way I see the world. Like, my voice needs to be a part of that, too. I don't know. I, th- I think I- I'm trying to look for uh, George Takai. He, after the Orlando shootings, he started this whole campaign, right, to ban assault rifles and stuff. And... I think when things happen close to home, that's when change happens, right? And I think a a lot of these things that happen that we hear about, we're not quick to make a change until it happens close to our home, like here in Orlando, like a whole bunch of organizations and stuff started now because of it. And like one thing that I heard was that the whole gun control thing the ones that were probably going to be the ones to really make a difference in this country with gun control is going to be the LGBT community. 
because it affected, affected it impacted them specifically right so they were if, if anyone was going to make a change and really bring gun control it was going to be that community because they were so affected and there's so many of them that they were going to be the ones that were going to come together and make a change so i think when things happen close to home that's when were affected unfortunately I, I i say that i'm not proud of that but i i think that's just the way it is it, those are the ones that really stand up and make a change and so i think for for their generations the the younger generation like even which is why i think a lot of millennials supported bernie sanders because the college and and paying for college and all that right that, our voice was represented by him exactly so i think that that's why they stood behind him and so I feel like we make changes when they hit close to home. So I, our generation, like I don't remember what you were talking about the, the whole. Um, no, it was, that was before your yeah, time that's, as well. Yeah, that's probably before my time. Mm-hmm. But certain changes that have been made from when we were younger are because people were affected. So I think the millennials have a huge voice and I think it's awesome, especially like even the the ones that were coming in and were supporting Bernie Sanders. These are young kids. Yeah, I'm pretty sure at the Bernie Sanders rally in Kissimmee, like I'm pretty sure 75 percent of Gateway High School, like their students, the student body was there. Yeah. So these are young kids that are actually listening and they're paying attention. So that that makes me happy. That's wonderful. I think that's that's, wonderful to see because it's it's. It's really their country now. You know, we're in this very weird dynamic politically in the country where the oldest percentage of the population is the one that runs the country. Right. And I get it. You've been there the longest, but it's the ideas are dated. The ideas are from a different time. They're from multi-generations ago, and there needs to be a mixture. There needs to be a mixture of both old and young coming together. The, The youth has to have a voice because it's a different time, and they're the ones that see it clearly. Absolutely. Like I said, I think now is the time, finally, statistically, where there's as much as us as there are of them. Like now I think it's 50-50 split. Like before there used to be more of the older generation. And it makes sense because you want to represent more of what there is. But now that there's, it's basically split down the middle, our, both voices need to be heard equally and represented equally. Right, because there are new ideas, things are changing, things are evolving. I mean, we're, we're more in this whole social media world, so the younger generation are the ones that dominate that and know about that and know how to, how to get to more people through that and, and con- give ideas and really join together. It's why I've appreciated the, the campaign of Bernie Sanders so far, uh, you know, above anyone else, simply because he has been inclusive to all the different groups. He has listened to both youth, uh, the older generation. Uh, he's listened to the, the different segments of society. Uh, he's been completely open to that. And to me, that shows the want and desire for equality, the want and desire to embrace diversity, uh, the want for change, because we're so segmented in this country. We're, we're so segmented into our own little groups, and each group is so afraid of the other. Mm-hmm. 
And of course, that fear is what leads into violence. That fear is what leads into keeping us segmented. And we need the feeling that we need to come together. And we're seeing it. Like right now in Orlando, we have all sorts of different people coming together. Yeah. And if we, if we can embrace that, if we can harness that, because it, it, it's possible. Every time there's a tragedy, we prove it's possible. So it's possible for people to come together and embrace each other and love and, and, and support each other. So now we need to harness that energy and spread that outward somehow. Somehow. And, and, and I've always felt that uh, a candidate like Bernie Sanders could, could do that. If we had someone at the top that really believed that and wasn't afraid to speak up about it, then that maybe it would trickle down. Yeah. Versus a candidacy such as Trump, which regardless of what he wants to do politically, regardless of whether you think he's good financially or not, regardless of whether he's a good businessman or not, he speaks from fear and he speaks from hate. And when you have that at the top of any sort of structure, it's going to trickle down. When the leader of any structure can talk down to somebody then it gives everyone underneath that permission to talk down to somebody. When you have a leader of any organization that, that can make slanderous remarks, uh, hateful remarks, uh, can group people together and segment them as one thing, then everyone underneath that organization is given permission to do the same thing, and it's dangerous. Right, it adds fuel to the fire. Oh, completely. And it, it's, I see the danger in that if... If the people of this country are given permission to segment groups, right now we really don't have permission to do it, even though it's done anyway. Uh, but if they have permission because the, the leader of that country is doing it, it's we're only going to be divided even more. And you see examples of it at Trump rallies when they were happening. Um, uh, like members that went to that rally, like Trump supporters, would attack minorities there really without any reason just because if they're hearing somebody that they support not really caring whether people or not get hurt then they're not going to care and they're going to act on it because it's what they're being told it's what they're being fed so then it's then it's okay then they're given permission so we already see it happening and it's kind of scary to think of that happening at a mass level like how is the Muslim community going to feel or be treated if somebody like Trump was in power? Right, because we're, we're now creating and, you know, Trump is adding to that. He's adding the fuel to the fire in the sense of when every time he makes a slanderous comment about uh, somebody that is Muslim, then all of a sudden he's creating that that segmentation of society. He's creating those groups that are different than everyone else. And he's lumping all of these people together that don't belong in that group. He's taking Islamic, Islamic extremists and he's taking all of, of, uh, of the Muslim faith and putting it inside of that. That's dangerous. Yeah, That's dangerous. That's saying that there's an us and there's a them and that we're different and we need to fear the them. And if you even look remotely like them, then you shouldn't be here. We should get rid of you. We should, you know, you don't belong with us. We're, we're different. That, that sounds eerily like something else that has happened in history. And, and we don't need to go back there. Not only is, is someone like, like Trump running for presidency, 
but he very well, he has a chance to be president. Right. That's scary. How did we get here? It's a joke. We are a joke around the entire world that Trump is even considered for president. He's, he's not really a viable candidate. He's, he's a reality TV star. But yet the rest of the world sees it and says, really, this, this is who is going to be your president? This, this person right here, this is who you're really considering? And then, of course, on the other side of is it, it looks like it's going to be Hillary Clinton. So we have Hillary Clinton and, and Trump, and, and they're both <laughs> almost extremist candidates on their own, own side. It's amazing. Yeah, they're completely opposite of each other. They're completely opposite, but I, you know, and I'm not, I'm not convinced. Uh, I'm not convinced in in the ability of of Hillary Clinton to run this country either. I, I'll I'll take her any day of the week over over Donald Trump, but she's more of the same of what we have. She's establishment politics, and she's she's what we've had. She's uh, she's going to be strapped to the corporations because that's where she gets her money, and you, you can't. You know, you can't avoid that. And my main thing, you know, I, I know politics are a very touchy subject. And, you know, I, I, I'm not advocating for Democrat or Republican because I, I think they're both screwed. Uh, but what I am advocating for is finding a candidate that speaks for what this world and especially this country needs, which is love. I think you need to find a candidate in any election at any level in that, any party in in any party it doesn't even matter uh, it, but you have to find a candidate that is going to speak for the greater good of humanity and for the future of the people of this country not just the country but the people of this country and the way i like to look at it is what type of america do i want my kids to grow up in and i want my kids to grow up in a place where People are accepted, where people are loved, where they could be happy, uh, where it's not about survival of the fittest, where it's not about uh, who has the most toys wins. It's 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 beyond that. It, it's it, it's just about accepting each other and loving each other. And if you think back through your own t- own history and your own, uh, you know, when you were growing up, you know, some of our best memories is when we're with family and friends and at parties and just hanging out. I mean, those are the memories that we cherish. So why can't we have in America like that, where it's really about coming together, being together, just like we're seeing here in Orlando in the aftermath of the pulse, people coming together, being together, embracing each other. And that's what I believe a platform could be. And again, that's why, you know, my endorsement is, has been for Bernie Sanders is because he is the one candidate speaking about love beyond the issues. Everything he says is about the greater good of humanity, the greater good of the human being. So we fight. We need to fight for that. You know, in 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 the studio, I I, I challenge all of uh, all of my students. You know, and because the one thing I believe uh, is that we as artists are the foot soldiers of humanity. We are the soldiers of humanity, and we are on the ground level fighting in our own community, and we have to make sure that that exists. So important in this whole structure. And again, I think it comes back to Pulse. I, you know, we've looked at, at this, this shooting a lot, right? And, and you know, we, we always ask, what causes somebody to, to do this? And could it have been stopped? And not could it have been stopped tactically, not from a police state uh, or from a government uh, state. But what I mean is, could it have been stopped 
from a psychological standpoint. And the one thing I keep coming back to uh, is no, it couldn't have at the time it happened. Once someone has decided to do that, it's too late to talk them out of it. It's too late to fix it. The time to fix it was probably 20 years earlier. And I'm sure if we went back through this person's life, there were points early on in childhood, in elementary school, whether it was at home, whether it was at school, but things happened that started this person down this negative path that 20 years later eventually led to to doing this. And that's why I want to take a look at early childhood uh, development. I want to take a look at elementary school. I want to take a look at all of that and saying, this is, this is when we're forming this stuff in people. This is when we're, we're creating these negative impulses that have a 20-year incubation period. Someone doesn't wake up one day and decide to go kill people. It, it's, not, it's not a spur-of-the-moment thing. And sure, there are acts of passion and crimes of passion and all of that, but that's not what this was. This was methodical. This was, this was something that was raging inside this person for a long time. And raging inside to a point where it had to come out. Like a volcano, it was, it was waiting to erupt, waiting to erupt, waiting to erupt, to a point where you, he could not stop it from erupting. But there was a point in history when it could have been prevented. And this is where these random acts of kindness come in. There, there was a point, there were maybe one word, one thing that was said to him, one random act of kindness said to this person 15 years earlier may have prevented what happened today, showing that there is good in humanity, showing that there's good in the world. Who knows? And whatever was happening was fueling his, <clears throat> the negativity. It's a lot of speculation. It's all we have is speculation because he's dead. Yeah. And, and nothing excuses this type of action. Nothing excuses this type of action. But we need, as citizens, as every single person, every human being alive can take a call to action to say we can do something about the future generation by making sure our kids feel loved, our kids feel accepted, our kids are embraced for who they are and are allowed to express and they're allowed to be who they are even if it's different they're allowed to think what 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 they're thinking even if it's if it's off the beaten path a little bit they're allowed to have emotions especially when it's looked at as society as as being wrong or being weak let them feel what they have to feel let them go through their own process but oh my god let them feel accepted if you do that to your elementary school kids and your middle school kids and especially you know, your high school kids, if you would let, let's tell, show them that they are accepted for who they are and really accept them for who they are, then we can prevent the next one of these from happening. We can stop it today that will happen 10 years from now. It's sad to see the statistics of high school students that are suicidal. Teen suicide is is off the charts right now. And it's amazing. Social media has not helped that. 
social media has for as you know there's sure we we can that'll be one of our other discussions of social media the good and the bad of social media and there's plenty good to social media absolutely it brings people together in times and helps us communicate sure yes it does but it also social media is a reflection of what you're feeling meaning that if you're feeling great then social media can be a wonderful thing to feel great and communicate and, and do all of those things. If you're feeling isolated, social media will reflect that isolation. Teen suicide is up. Teen self-harm is up. You know, you'll Maya, you'll notice that in, in college now. Uh, there's, what do you think the answer is to them? What do you mean? Like when somebody... Well, to, to, to what, what do you think the answer is for the youth? So... So you're in college. I was supposed to say college, high school, college, of getting past because there's a lot of depressed teenagers. Yeah. How do we fix that? I I genuinely don't know. I mean, I know that it's gotten to a point where it's one of those things where it's like it's hard to see the way out of it. Okay. I mean, do you think it's at the parental level or the home level? Because uh, I, I know I know parental level is 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 changing now in, in society. So sometimes there, there are parents or no parents or one parent, but is it at the home level or? I think it's a combination of parental and societal. I think that at least it's specifically in America, we're like conditioned to be perfect. And there's not always representation in of how we feel where we look like we'll look on tv or um online to find people who are relatable or where we can express ourselves and we don't see like that representation like the stigmatism of mental illness is is absolutely insane to the point where nobody wants to say that they feel like they might have one because it's so stigmatized that they're afraid that they'll be isolated or rejected from being quote-unquote normal but i don't I don't know how to fix that. I don't know how to, I mean, it helps when we're, when you're dealing specifically with like body image, when you see commercials of different women of different color with different body shapes in those commercials, like there's nothing more gratifying than seeing that because it's like, oh, wow, look, somebody looks like me. Is part of the problem the fact that we call it mental illness when really I'm not seeing it as an illness. I'm seeing it as just someone Feeling different. Feeling different. Feeling isolated. Feeling that they have stuff inside that is different from different from somebody else, and they're afraid to express it because of fear of judgment. I feel like everybody in their life is going to go through some sort of state of where they're categorized as that. I just think that's as as a society, that's what we've categorized it as. But I don't think it's rare for somebody to have a moment in their life where they feel depressed or anxious. Like I think as humans, that's very normal. Oh, it is very normal. It's completely normal. But what we see is that when we're, when someone is feeling that way in high school or middle school, that they're so worried about it being an illness, they're so worried about what's wrong with me that they're afraid to talk about it. Well, I think a lot of it has to do with, well, it's not represented like on TV. Like, like growing up, like watching like Hannah Montana or um, I don't know, Clifford the Big Red Dog, like... While I get that it's kid content and it's family content, like subjects like that are never. Everything is. Ev- anything ever talked about. Everything is so. Good. Good. 
to the point where it morphs your perception on how things are going to be when you get older. Like my idea of high school when I was seven is completely different on what high school is actually like. And I see it with like the with like my younger sisters, like Leah, like she has this idea of what high school is and what dating somebody is. And I'm listening to her talk about it. And I know in my head that she's going to get smacked real quick with reality because that is nothing what it's like. But where she gets the idea and the perception of it is on TV. So I feel like, at least to me, representation is one of the most important things. Because that's what makes you feel connected. Right. If you live your whole life wanting to be a doctor, but you've never seen a doctor that looks like you or is like you, then how could you possibly ever perceive the idea that you could be a doctor? So... So media is one way that we can fix it, mm-hmm. seeing it being represented in the media. What about conversations in the home? Should this be a conversation that's had in the home? Yeah, absolutely. I think that parents and children should have a healthy relationship to the point where talking about these things are normal and accepted and they're not frowned upon. Or they're not taboo. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. At what age do you think that starts happening? Meaning, sure, we can say, well, at the high school level, we should have an open relationship and talk about everything. But somewhere in there for the child... There needs to go a transition period, right? Well, for the child, they're going to learn not to talk about certain things, or they're going to learn the behavior of avoiding having deep-level conversations with the parents. Right. So at what age... If you just think back over your own life, at what age would it have worked for you to sit down and have a serious conversation and and talk about about things? I mean, I've always believed the notion that if the child is young enough to ask and the child is young enough to know. So at least for me specifically, like personally, I think around maybe like 10, 11, 12, when you start being introduced to abstract ideas like happiness and freedom and sadness and stuff like that like when those things like start actually affecting you and your feelings and I think a lot of it has to do with the feeling of like security and comfort because like a child knows when like even if it's never been spoken about a child knows what not to say to their parents like you just get that sense of feeling so I think that if you start off early like even before those ideas even pop up of having like an open and secure household where you won't get shot down or feel rejected about saying or speaking of certain things, then I think that'll like flow into when they're older and they want to talk about things like that. So possibly even starting earlier, possibly even starting when they're they're six and seven years old, just allowing them to give you their ideas. Yeah, absolutely being accepting for what they're saying. And I, and I think at that age, too, it, it also um, lays down the foundation. Because if you have a foundation of where you're constantly hearing your parents talk about, I don't know, for example, how much they hate the LGBTQ community, then that's all the child is ever going to know and listen to, and that's how they're going to grow up. And they're not going to know why they hate the LGBTQ community. They just know that they do. So... I think a lot of it also has to do with how the parents talk to each other. and 
so not just parents talking to the child. You're saying it's important that the child sees a healthy relationship between the parents and the content of what the parents speak to each other needs to be... Absolutely, it needs to be a healthy environment. And I'm not saying that things like the LGBTQ community shouldn't be talked about. Absolutely not. I think that children should know at an early age that, that those things are okay and those things are accepted. And and it's things like that, that, that we shouldn't always be avoided, avoidant of conversations that are considered, quote-unquote, taboo in society. Because opening up the conversation allows children to feel safe and that's all you want you want the child to feel safe because if the child feels safe then they'll be more inclined to speak about things that they feel personally rather than hiding it from you and letting it manifest into something that then they can no longer control themselves because the child is going to take on the personalities of the parent mm-hmm. yeah absolutely. and the, the the ideas of the parent and it's we see that with everything i mean i I was Catholic for a long time simply because my parents were. Not because I chose at a young age to be Catholic. No, my parents chose to put me in a Catholic school, and I got a Catholic education, and I went to Catholic church, and I did all of the things Catholic. And so I have a deep level understanding of what that means, but the choice was made for me. And you look at something else. I mean, I, I'm a Miami Dolphin fan because my dad was a Miami Dolphin fan. That's, right. that's why. That's just how it works. That's why. Therefore, that's why you like the Dolphins. And of course, Sam, you like the Cowboys. And that's why you like Maya likes the Cowboys. So yeah. it's, it, it's all passed, passed down. Uh, and even now, I'm, I'm, a, you know, I'm trying, but I'm a Cowboy fan. <laughs> I've brought you <laughs> onto the dark side. I'm doing my best. But the only reason I'm a Cowboy fan, the only reason is, <laughs> is because, because Sam is. So it's, we, sure, we learn from our environment. And, you know, and even now, you know, Jude was talking about, you know, our son, you know, he's talking about how, how he's a Miami Dolphins and a, and a Dallas Cowboys fan. Because that's what they see. He doesn't really even understand football yet. He's too right. young. But, but he understands that. And that's what they see. That's what they're around, right? We have big emblems of the Cowboys and the Dolphins in our house. It's like, it's, that's what it's about. And so, and, and that's something safe, right? That, that's something that's, that's you know it's it's fanatical it's we're fans of is sports but it also translates over into politics it also translates over into beliefs uh morality morality ethics absolutely all of those things whatever our passions are and what we talk about and what we dedicate our time to that's what our kids are going to learn i mean as a child yeah absolutely i think that and in the earlier stages that's how it is because i know that's how it is with you i remember I didn't like the color green, but you like the color green. So I was like, yeah, sure, green is great. <laughs> but then as the child gets older, then they start to become their individualized yeah, self, right. which is why I think the foundation is important of being exposed to an environment where they're being taught things in a healthy and acceptable manner. Because then when they grow up, they'll still keep that foundation with them. The foundation will never leave them. While they may be taking on new things, that foundation will always stay with them. So while the child is going to transition into a new stage in their life, they'll still have that base laid down. And that will carry with, carry them through their lives. And knowing that their opinion counts. Which I think is so important, is even if their opinion differs, the ability to be heard... Right is what really matters not being shut down and saying well no th- this is no just because we say no 
as opposed to talking through, talking through it through it and then seeing well why do they have this opinion like well go ahead and like explain that and then they do and it's like oh i mean there's times right where we've been stubborn with ideas sure and then the kids like they'll be fighting and we'll be like well don't fight and, blah, 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 blah. and then they'll explain what's happening and we're like hmm okay well they have a point like <laughs> this is interesting yeah you know and and i think that we don't give them enough credit like they they have opinions and it might even be opinions like you know which is better mario or luigi <laughs> but <laughs> but they're still their opinions because that's their world at this point right you know super mario brothers is, is a big part of their world and uh or watching you know their channel on youtube or whatever it is that their shows and their their environment their school uh you know their world is much smaller than than ours as adults and that's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Let them let them really understand their world. But we must not discount it and minimize what they're talking about because it's still their world and it's very important within their world. Right. Right. And you never, like one of the things that, um, there's like a post that I've seen on social media that I've always liked because it was like things I'm going to make sure that I teach my child or things I'm going to make sure I'm not going to teach my child. And one of them is that age correlates to importance. Like just because Jude is seven doesn't mean his opinion doesn't matter as opposed to Lisa who's 11. You know, just because she's older doesn't mean that she has more of an importance. And I right. think that's important. <laughs> not funny. Um, sure. And because that, that again correlates to then as we're talking in our political system, where the older generation, the 50 plus uh, or 60 plus, uh, you know, are, are more intelligent than the 20 year olds. Right. And it's it, because we do have that idea that that with age, you gain intelligence and wisdom and therefore you're, you're more, more important. important. But that's not true. Right. That's not true. We may all have different experiences and stuff, but that doesn't make it more important or less important. Right. Absolutely. We just have different perspectives. Yeah. And when we're open to those different perspectives, that's when we can communicate better. That's when we can feel accepted. And we feel, you know, together we can we can make a, a bigger difference than we can but individually. You, each person communicates based on... How they were taught to. Right. And what level they're at in that moment. Yes. And that's just as important as whatever level you're at at your age and what you've been conditioned to. I think the hard part is not necessarily learning to speak better to others. The hard part is trying to let go of what you think you know and really listen to what the other person is trying to say. Because you're right, everyone communicates differently. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times we put it through our own filter and we immediately want to discount what they're saying. We immediately want to, to say no and minimize it and say it's not important just because they're not speaking our language. But if we really try to understand what their intention is, try to understand what is their message behind it, well, then we can translate it into our own language, into our own way of communicating, and we can then communicate. We can really get down to a deep level understanding. It's so important. We could do a whole show on that. I'd love to elaborate on that. Okay. Well, we, we will. We have lots of shows. Look at this one. This one just took off on its own. Who knew we were going to end up here? So There's we'll a lot of little topics we talked about here that I think... We will elaborate, elaborate on them because, yeah. yeah. And I talked a lot, of course, and I'll do a lot of that. But, but 
Sam will, will gain her ground and start talking more. I do. <laughs> the unicorn will come alive. Yeah, but I see your eyes, right? And you're like in this thought and you're 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 like going this certain way. So if I squirrel in <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna take you a while to get back and it's like I don't oh, wanna distract right. your certain like focused <laughs> thought because I see it in your eyes. I'm like, well if I if I jump in here, then oh no. <laughs> but I will. Good, good. And then we'll also, uh, we'll talk more on sports as well, because that's Maya's topic. Yay! And she can give us sport updates and what's happening, uh, especially around football. The NFL is her passion. My affinity. And she can tell us what's going on there, because the uh, the training camps are about to start. That's right. So we'll, we'll have to see if the Miami Dolphins are going to be any better this year than they have in the past 20. well this season i don't know what it is yet we have a brand new coach uh, adam gase and i'm really interested to see his style i'm interested to see what's going on at training camp and uh maya you can give us updates okay (laughs) sports segment yes we'll have a sports segment i'll probably be bringing in like a joke of the day that would be wonderful. I would love because I, I I tend to get serious. So I then, know <laughs> I gotta bring in jokes. So Sam will like even that out and bring in the jokes of the day. How do you make a witch itch? I don't know. How do you make a witch itch? You take out the W. Are you? <laughs> I can't. And there you go. And and that's what we will be subjected to. Listen, uh. the important thing here is that you got it. If I could say a joke and not explain it, which is usually not the case, <laughs> I usually have to explain my jokes. Yes. That means they're not funny, right? Well, yeah. <laughs> no, because you didn't have to explain this one. I didn't, but y'all got it. See? I did get it. That was, Doesn't that mean was it was funny. Thank you. <laughs> well, that's my uh, contribution. That will be your contribution. All right. Well, we will go ahead and conclude this podcast since, since we've we've gone... A little over our allotted time. But thank you all for listening. I really uh, appreciate all of you out there. And uh, hopefully you will tune in to all of our upcoming ones. And we will see you soon. And whether you agree or disagree with us, just be with us. Absolutely. We're all about having the conversation, starting the conversation. Uh, We're all about acceptance. And let's communicate. Let's talk. All right, world. We will see you again soon. Love you all. Laters. Bye-bye. So what I told you was true, from a certain point of view. You must unlearn what you have learned. I know what you're trying to do. I'm trying to free your mind, but I can only show you the door. You're the one that has to walk through it.